and welcome to And Introducing, a podcast about words, about music. I'm Chris Wade. And I'm Molly O'Brien. And introducing, on lead vocals and guitar, it's Mr. Jeff Tweedy. Probably the only person on the planet who can be described as a soft boy and have it actually be a compliment. Tweedy's folk punk alt country music has gained him a massive rock cred over the last 25 years. First in Uncle Tupelo and most notably in Indie Darling's Wilco. The band. And today we're learning about his philosophies on creativity, his struggles with prescription painkiller addiction, and his adult circumcision (laughs) in his very recently published memoir, Let's Go So We Can Get Back. That's a, a memoir of recording and discording with Wilco, etc. It's a discording? Yeah, some discording. As in You like, got a discord record. Discourse? Yeah. Well, like, no, discord, like uh strife and you know oh, okay. conflict. Sowing the seeds a memoir of yeah. chords, the guitar, and discord, the interpersonal conflict. Sure. Sure. Um, I'm very excited to get to this adult circumcision. Also, he's <laughs> uh he's very much uh, you know, first uh Three rules of show business got to go away to come back. Oh, except I can't quote that anymore because uh, Why not? Louis, Louis C.K. is more canceled than yeah. ever. Oh, yeah. He could not. You could not start a year more canceled. Yes. Than the, Louis. Yes. That still remains the only the only uh, uh, funnier and insightful thing I think he's ever said. Yes. Um, the three rules of show business is quoted by David Lynch in his show. Anyway. He's canceled sis. I'm, and that's I'm going to just give David Lynch the credit for that yeah. one. So I'm just going to pretend that David Lynch made up his lines for but this episode. That First, sounds good. Who's that voice? Why? It's returning guest Ben Ferky <laughs> joining the Two Timers Club. Yes. Hey guys. Uh, thanks for having me back. It's uh, a small club. Yes. I'm, I'm very proud to be in being a, a, a repeat club. This is I've never I don't think I've ever been in a repeat club or really like any kind of like cool club like this since like, you know, the BK days. Uh, hell yeah. You know, it's the coolest. I think it's the coolest club in, in town. It's, it's like a sandwich. It's among the most exclusive. So uh, that automatically makes the most cool. <laughs> it's true. Yeah. We last talked to you about Insane Clown Posse and Fish, of course, which was. My two, my two favorite bands now. The be- Yeah. The, <laughs> did you come around to Fish or? I actually, I didn't really come or come around on Fish, but um, I did because, uh, because of Fish, um, and I, and I, to prep for the fish episode, I listened to a lot of fish and didn't really like any of it. Yeah. And, and so one day I was thinking, Hey, um, uh, I wonder if the Grateful Dead are as bad, you know, <laughs> that's and a so valid thing to think about fish. This, this unfortunately, uh, led to me going down a rabbit hole where for a month I listened to exclusively Grateful Dead Yep. all day, every day. Um, I saw your tweets about the it, Grateful Dead. <laughs> it frayed some friendships. Uh, <laughs> All right. So, so, ha- so are you now a, a dead head? I, I think it's fair to call me a, a dead head. I think that they are the Holy only uh, jam band that I can listen to. But like, I feel like they're, you know, they're more than just like a jam band. Like they have, you know, uh, you know, this is, this is on topic. They have like, you know, some nice kind of like country-ish, mm-hmm. mellow, like, shorter songs but friend of the devil that's a good yeah, song friend of the devil great song i feel like the the jam band thing uh with fish or uh, uh grateful dead is it maybe more with grateful dead is is kind of like the jordan peterson thing where the fans are like no 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 no, no. you have to listen to all <laughs> 300 hours of these live recordings to really get what they're about you know 
Like yeah, like have you heard? Have you even heard Cornell seventy seven man? Yeah. Like, <laughs> no man, Buffalo seventy seven from three days later is better. Yeah. <laughs> but the point is, you got to listen to them both to to know what you're t- yeah, before you, you can say that Grateful yeah. Dead sucks. And I've listened to, and so they've got like two thousand uh, shows on archive.org, and I've barely scraped the surface. Yeah. Of them, and but like I went back and I listened to a show that they played in nineteen sixty nine or nineteen seventy at the college I went to. And it's absolute dog shit. Like it, it could not be worse. And then it ends with, um, like someone making a speech about like a Black Panther tr- trial in like uh, New Haven, which is where like close to where I went to school. Yeah, not where I went. Definitely not. Uh, <laughs> um, and but like then this guy who's making this like Black Power speech gets drowned out by a bunch of like clearly like drunk white bro guys being like, "We want the dead." Oh my god! <laughs> and it's just and it's the worst sound quality I've ever I've I've, I've heard on something that claims to be like a like a real recording. And it's so so uh. Not for the faint of heart, uh, being a deadhead. But yeah. um, if you want to, I guess it's like playing Minesweeper a little bit. You gotta, you gotta go in and, and find the the good, the good live recordings. Yeah, and that's part of the, it's sort of the part of the fun too. Is uh, sometimes you, you listen to them and it, it's you can even though you you because like you've you've heard them before and you know that they're they're talented and that they and they have like chemistry together. Like so when they suck, you know you can you can kind of feel comfortable being like, oh wow, this is some real dog shit. <laughs> like, yeah. <laughs> I don't know what Bob Weir had, you know, like between the first and second set, but there's some real, <laughs> real problems with the rhythm guitar going on right now. Oh yeah. my God. Uh, but we're not here to talk about Grateful Dead. Well, we're always here to talk about Grateful Dead. <laughs> we might be here for Grateful Dead, but not here to talk about. Yes. Although I guess we are talking about something that's a little, it may be in the shadow of Grateful Dead or in the lineage yeah. of, uh, a, a taxonomically yeah. related to, yeah. uh, which is indie country, alt country, uh, and the indie rock descendants of the the gentle psychedelic country uh, uh, fathers of before, which <laughs> is Wilco. And Ben, you requested Wilco, did you not? Uh, yeah, so um, I think in the the last episode I did with you guys, I may have like kind of made fun of fun of them a little bit, but they actually are like um one of my favorite bands, and they they are a really good kind of um gateway into a lot of sort of even weirder like more experimental stuff. Mm-hmm. And so I I saw that um uh, Jeff Tweedy had a memoir coming out, and I was just like, hey guys, like you, you should do this book, like it's you know it's new, and I have a, it's, I just for some reason I just had a feeling that there'd be something good in here yes and um i uh i think i was right i think that this was uh this was actually um like I've, I've been saying you know uh to molly and chris like when i've been you know like we've been prepping for this like this that i, I this isn't just like a good like music memoir it's just like a good memoir it's a good memoir like, you it's don't have, a good book yeah sorry to interrupt but, um uh you, like you don't have to um uh like you don't have to listen to a single wilco song to enjoy this book like you, yeah you, you, you can have no idea what they sound like and still read it and have like a good good time yeah totally right? get things out of it and stuff he's just like a cool guy who has good <laughs> yeah. thoughts cool which i guess is a it's like the best qualification ever for writing a book just yeah. Be yeah a cool guy with good thoughts yeah i mean i have not read the book you two have but we've all listened to wilco songs so oh, yeah. that will theoretically <laughs> make the book better we yeah can, we can like kind of like mansplain like wilco. The, the wilco history wilco is yeah, yeah. Through, through jeff yeah. well then let's explain let's start then with everybody's uh, experience with wilco yeah as, so what we want to do when did you get into the so, wilco and so, was wilco first or was it one of the other bands he's been in such as uncle tupelo i mean that would be wild if i went f- like in order like from uncle tupelo to wilco yeah but, um i was not that cool as a as a as a youth um 
so like I think it was it was neither seventh or eighth grade um, is around the time that I started like doing the thing where it's like I'm a teenager now I'm gonna I have all this you know time on my hands but I'm smarter so I'm just gonna put music trivia you know where other things should be yep and uh, as part of like my getting into music like my parents bought me a bunch of stuff for Christmas one year and I got Yankee Hotel Foxtrot and so I um, I put it into my into you know, like our, our computer um, in, to like uh, rip it to iTunes. Like, Hell yeah. Um, I'm sure there are, you know, maybe there are people listening to this podcast who don't know what that means, but yes. Um, Im- importing the classic iTunes yeah. import. Yeah. Oh um, boy. It's, I, I used to like steal so much music from the public library. Oh through, yeah. That's a classic move. Oh my Boss God. move. I love yeah. it. Uh, anyway, so um, <laughs> basically I, I put it into iTunes and iTunes would like uh, categor- give you like a genre categorization, categorization like yeah. all of the, yeah track inf- information would would fill out and stuff and they were listed as country and so mm-hmm. me being you know like a essentially like a, like a closed-minded music bigot at this point mm-hmm. like, where i would only i only really liked uh punk rock I was like oh f- fuck country man no <laughs> um and then but it just they just like kept kind of popping up and you know i it had like a really cool cover of the of the marina towers and stuff which yeah like or was, i just call them the corn cob buildings yeah yeah ah. um, downtown chicago landmarks to me, they just look like wicked tall parking garages from a dystopian yeah. future. Yeah, like, I mean, now they're now that I think that like a lot of at least like like when I was there, all of the like non-native Chicagoans would would um just they just call it the Wilco Building. That's yeah. so Wilco funny. Tower. I'm uh, sure there are a lot of people who do the do uh, selfies in front of them. Oh yeah, yeah, definitely. I'd like to <laughs> peruse that tag on Instagram and see how many people are recreating the Wilco cover. <laughs> <laughs> Does um, there are dozens of us? Yeah. Dozens? No, I'm sure, I'm sure many people have done this. Uh, I've definitely seen it on Instagram. Yes, like people being like, "Hey, Wilco Building." Um, <laughs> but eventually, so like the point is, um, I listened to it and I really like connected with. I really connected with it in a way that um, probably was like a giveaway that I had a mood disorder <laughs> that I just didn't realize at a time. But um, so like they had, they definitely like were like a band that kind of like spoke to me on sort of like an emotional level mm-hmm. and like um, I stopped listening to them for a long time actually because I had put too many Wilco songs on like playlists that I made for um, like women that I was yes. that I dated and mm-hmm. stuff mm-hmm. <laughs> yep. and they just like all beca- became like you know tarred with like those associations not tarred <laughs> that's a mean way of saying yeah. it. But, you, know, you know what I mean <laughs> yeah um, no but yeah. like that's be- you only get to that point because like it speaks to you yeah, um, right. yeah. and then I also like, I was also lucky enough to see them live once and um I also got to see Jeff with um, Mavis Staples, who he cool. talks about later in the in the book. Yep, and she introduced him as uh, Jeff Tweedy from the Wilco Band. <laughs> Hell yeah! And like like because like you know she's this was at a Lollapalooza, and and so like the audience is all just like sunburned like white indie rock fans, and so she like was like, okay, I got a secret weapon for these guys. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I got something that's going to knock their socks off. Je- Jeff Tweedy and the Freewheeling Wilcos. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I'll go next because I have a very, I mean, I have a similar experience, but a different outcome, which is, uh, uh, yeah, I kept kept hearing about the, I got into music in high school. These guys were getting big right around then. Uh, I kept hearing about them as like, oh, this is a band that cool people like. So I uh, got uh, their albums. I never really fully got into Yankee Hotel Foxtrot. The Yankee Hotel Foxtrot did give me get me into numbers stations, which I do think are extremely cool. Extremely cool. Glad yes. you brought that up. Um, <laughs> we get, are we going to talk about number yes. stations later? Yeah. Okay, yeah. great. Well, awesome. uh, we'll talk more about them that later. I mean, what can you say? Uh, uh, I'm trying to break your heart is a banger. 
and a few other songs on that albums are banger. I got really into Mermaid Avenue mm-hmm. uh, because I, for my opinion, that hits a little harder, just stylistically, musically, a little crunchier, like a little crunchier, mm-hmm. a little yeah. uh, rock and rollier yeah. than the other albums. And then I believe when I was a senior in high school, I saw Wilco at the Taft Theater in Cincinnati, Ohio. Great. This is a sit-down venue. uh, And I will say I was bored out of my mind at that show. Yeah. Did not enjoy it. Did not hit for me. Did not slap. Yeah. There were no bops. No jams. No bangers. No bangers. No jams. Yeah. And that kind of killed Wilco for me. And that was probably in a- Did that show dehydrate you? Yeah. I'm trying to bring this some new vocab into 2019, yeah. including like when something just like takes all your energy out of I'm, you, just fucking dehydrates yeah, you. I'm, yeah, I had no more thirst for them afterwards. Yeah, yeah. Um, I I was sapped of interest and energy, and by time a uh, ghost is born, uh, you know, came came out came around. I was like, eh, I don't care, and I put them aside and have not really thought about them since. <laughs> well, you're gonna think more about them today. <laughs> I probably, I assume I will, unless I have some kind of a coma or, or mental trauma in the next few minutes. Let's hope you don't. That would be weird and not good. Um, you, I think you've thought of them a little because I've been bumping Yankee uh, Hotel Foxtrot in around the house. Sometimes if I'm in a in a serious baking project, <laughs> I love that album's density, weirdness, emotion, yeah, yeah. nonsense lyrics, and overall tunage. Mm-hmm. I think it strikes a balance between being weird and being sensitive and i like it very much i found it very late in life i think i maybe like three years ago four years no like five years ago it was some time ago you know a number of years (laughs) days days, weeks and and hours um i my first ever boss at my first real job was obsessed with wilco and i i kind of was like okay what's the what's the deal and then I listened to that because I knew like everyone called it a classic album. Like everyone's yeah. like, oh my God, one of the greatest albums of the Definitely in a thousand, one of the a thousand albums to live before, listen century. To before you die. I think it is. I think it's on that in that book or on that yeah. listicle or what have you. Um, so I got really into that album in particular. I think I had listened to A Ghost Is Born in like mid high school a couple songs from it. Was it Impossible Germany from that song or from that uh, album? That's from Sky Blue Sky. Okay. Whatever the, oh, oh, Hummingbird. Hummingbird, yeah, yeah, Hummingbird that's, was that's my big, that was my big mixtape song in high school. I threw that <laughs> on a couple, actually, mm, I think maybe a couple dudes got that one. Um, I thought it said something about the, the uh, delicate nature of life and love <laughs> in a way that could fit nicely between Interpol's evil and uh, some sort of cheeky Blink One Eighty Two song to lighten the mood <laughs> up again. That was good. That was good. That was yeah, like, that's a good. That's a good like mid two thousands playlist. You take, you gotta, it's got to take you on a journey, a journey um, uh, about with all white people's music. I feel like that, <laughs> those were that was my mixtape uh, strategy. Maybe I would throw like a Kanye uh, song in there. Anyway, a thrilling journey from the the suburbs to the exurbs. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> the suburbs. Yes, ex- that's like my teenage years in a nutshell. That's like the tagline. So I yeah I I like Wilco, but I haven't really delved into like the later stuff. Like there's the album called Star Wars, the album called Wilco the Band. There's the album called Wilco. Sh- oh, Schmilk is it just called Schmilko? Yeah, there's Wilco Schmilko. Yeah. Um, and then there's, I think it's actually Wilco the album, and the, then on it is Wilco the song. Yes, yes, the correct. Song. You are right. Um, so I haven't really delved into the later stuff, and Jeff Tweed just released a solo album called Warm, all caps, I believe. Um, warm. 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 So there's like a lot, and then I didn't, I haven't really fucked with Uncle Tupelo at all. So they're like, I think the book is nice because it covers some stuff, but 
not so in depth that you're like, I don't need to hear about the recording yeah. process. Um, and this, this, well, like, this. Oh, sorry. To uh, yeah. Well, I just, I do understand that Wilco is a band to get obsessed about because they have, you know, a lot of albums mm-hmm. over a long period of time, mm-hmm. a lot of songs, uh, but also like a trajectory. Yeah. And a trajectory yeah. and Tweety's an interesting guy. And they're definitely somebody that you can get into and be like, Oh, this guy is a singular genius. And I, I want to like live inside their music. Yes. Yeah. And they're also, kind of a, a band where uh, fans can kind of argue about which um, era of the band they like the most. Yeah. Like, I think at this point, you know, which kind of takes us back to uh, stuff like Grateful Dead. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. 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 Which is, yeah. Which is a whole thing of being like, Oh, 77 is better than yeah, 72 yeah, 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 exactly. and 72. Right. They only had one drummer. Yeah. <laughs> Although if, if you, sometimes when you have two drummers, you have no drummers. So it's all, <laughs> No, if you have two drummers, you got to do the, the OC's uh, method and just have them play the exact same thing. Yeah, that's the only way. Yes. And it rules. Yes. Awesome. Um, it's just more drum. Yeah, they are. They're an argument band. They're kind of like a like pitchfork the site band. Like they're, they're made oh, for uh, they're a forum band, mm-hmm. a Reddit band in a way. Sure. Yeah. Um, yeah, just because there is like there's subtle alterations in the way they produce things and like the tone of their music. They have like rotate rotating cast of characters. I, his just, kid is, he's been making music with his children lately, which is wild. I'm just uh, I can just so easily imagine like uh, on like r slash music a post that's like uh, best Wilco album question mark and it's got like sixty upvotes and two thousand comments. <laughs> oh yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's exactly it. I mean yeah. and. And then it actually makes a lot of sense because um, he talks about when they're talking about Yankee Hotel Foxtrot, like famously, mm-hmm. that was an album where the record label uh, rejected it. They were somehow, somehow they uh, got the rights to their own masters, which yeah. is huge. Yeah. And then they just gave it out for free. Yeah. So they were really like one of the first bands who kind of figured out, um, hey, so why don't we just give our music yeah. away and let people share it and talk about it online and just go just go fucking wild with it yeah, yeah. <laughs> and yeah. then um they'll that's come and see idea. us live and then that's how we'll make our money um that's such a funny idea now even like 15 years ago the idea of a record label saying no <laughs> to something <laughs> like yeah when the majority of music is just like put out like water oh yeah, uh, yeah. like the, a record having any kind of like a and r quality control yeah, yeah, yeah. being like this i don't think this really fits in with your image yeah, or yeah. our image yeah no no one's saying that's a little pump no um maybe that maybe they <laughs> are maybe who knows we don't know what level of curation is going to that yeah, guy's whole yeah. whole deal little pump for president <laughs> i don't know is he bad <laughs> yeah he probably keep, i don't I know keep up with all with maybe. all those guys um let's let's dig into the tweed um this book rules it was so funny so charming um he opens the book with ground rules and he said there are two different gu- <laughs> there are two different guys named jay covered in this book um that stuff like that and there's also he's another ground rule is there will be no mention of prescription painkillers and two ground rules later he said jesus of course i'm going to write about the drugs would you have believed keith richards if he started his memoir with listen guys the less said about my experiences with heroin the better i'd rather just write about what it's like to be a grandfather <laughs> so like yeah. he knows what he know he's read some memoirs yeah. and those like, people who write these i feel like they haven't read a fucking maybe book yes. let alone memoir yeah so yeah he has this Throughout the entire book, he has a really phenomenal, um, very self-effacing sense of humor mm-hmm. that um, in no way comes across as uh, really, as like sort of like false modesty right. or- Aw um, shucks. Aw shucks. So, oh, little old me wrote, <laughs> yeah. this, wrote this song. Yeah. Um, he's, he's very, 
you know, like just just he he's he's not afraid to make fun of himself, and yeah. he doesn't and he does it in a way that's that's not like mean either because it's, it's sometimes it's hard to listen to somebody like really yeah uh you know cloth himself basically right and flagellate yes yeah, so, yeah, fla- yeah self-flagellate yeah good book so he I was say a rare reprieve for you it's no it's, it was great honestly now now i'm reading a book that i'm like this is not well it's interesting but i wouldn't say it's good we're back in the bad zone again okay well, uh, no but, spoilers no spoilers but uh so jeff was born on august 25th 1967 in belleville illinois um, just, I guess, just far enough from the sort of Chicago land area to make his life feel more bleak. Yeah. <laughs> um, his father yeah. quite literally worked on the railroad. Whatever, he never really understood what that meant, but he was just like, my dad works on the fucking railroad. Um, like his like father, piloted, train yard and he stuff. piloted right. one of those uh, <laughs> those carts that you have to pump to make go, oh, like the two person like pumping yeah, cart. Yeah. yeah, like the uh, Looney Tunes. Yeah, I feel like it's always in Looney Tunes. <laughs> yeah, uh, his father was a super heavy drinker. The the best way to share how much uh, Jeff Tweedy's father drank is that when Jeff was uh, working at a record store with his future manager, Tony Margarita, which is an incredible name. <laughs> uh, Margarita liked the pizza, not like not the like tequila the, the drink. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Sure. Um, they were working at a record store. Tony went out to get beer th- so they could share it um, during their like night shift. And he came back with a six pack of beer and Jeff was like, did you bring any beer for me? <laughs> and the reason he asked is because his father drank a 12 pack of beer a day. That was his standard consumption. When uh, when he got married, when Jeff got married to his wife, Susie, at Susie's bar, his father brought his own cooler of beer. Wow. He was a real, real. I mean, that is that is a, a pro drinker move. Yeah. Um, so like that's an interesting sort of environment to grow up around. Um I mean, Jeff, he talks a lot more about like substance abuse and uh, his relationship with like alcohol and then later mm-hmm. pills. But um, he that, you know, it's an intense situation yeah, growing yeah. up in this way. Um, and what's, but what's really what's kind of cool about it is that um, while both like his mother and his father uh, have a lot of qualities that are like really you know, just like, I guess like the polite way of putting it would be like not the greatest coping mechanisms because his yes. mother also ha- um, is like sort of troubled and, and he describes how one, one of the things that he would do is stay up all night with his mother and she would just like watch TV with him and smoke cigarettes and then she would fall asleep with a cigarette in her mouth. Yeah. And he said he would just, he loved to watch it like burn down. And so it was just this right. long this like big like gray tube of ash and then yeah. it would fall like on her face and like wake her up. And he's, he described this as like one of his, you know, just like, like a, you know, like priceless childhood memories and stuff. <laughs> right. So it's like <laughs> right. very, um, yeah. So it's in a lot of ways, it's a, it's a very grim sort of uh, childhood, but he doesn't really characterize it that way. And mm-hmm. he has like a lot of affection for his parents. Like he, he truly like, you can tell like loves them and is willing to kind of like forgive them for not maybe, being the best influences on yeah 100 percent. he doesn't it doesn't feel like bitter especially like he says his mom is like his biggest fan yeah. Yeah. like the biggest fan of every band he's been yeah. in and like papers the his house with newspaper clippings and etc and his father is the kind of it's funny he's not necessarily from a musical family like his dad would listen to the same song over and over for like months on end sure like Who, that's i like, mean same <laughs> Just like one song, like he would, he would, and it would always be. He's like Jeff said, it was like a random. It was never like from the same artist or in the same genre. It would just be, yeah. Like it would be a lot of like novelty songs or just sort of really goofy, like right. sort of hillbilly countryish, countryish things. Sure. Yeah. Um. He 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 got into music from uh, through one of his brothers, and he his brother kind of put him onto more obscure stuff. 
Um, he got so into reading. I love this detail. He got so into reading music magazines like Cream that he uh, he kind of knew more about how songs should, were going to sound like. So that when he picked up a uh, the Wash U college radio station one night and he was with his brother and he was listening to a song and he's like, that sounds like a Gang of Four song. And at the song ended, the DJ was like, that was Gang of Four. And he said, he his brother was like, how did you know it was a Gang of Four song? And he says, it seemed like it was about Marxism and there were clanging metal drums. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, honestly, true. I relate because I, re- yeah. I read so much about music before I listened to it because it wasn't widely available. Mm-hmm. It wasn't yeah. like soup of yeah. the internet. I had to pay money for it, which I did not yeah. have. There was a time when you could know about a thing but could not hear it. Yeah. Wow. You had yeah. to, you know, you had to just hope you got lucky and you had one of those winning Pepsi caps that yeah. like gave you one iTunes download. Yes. <laughs> fun, fun story. I, I, oh my God, I drank so much soda in high school, I guess. Um, I don't know why I'm alive, but I definitely had like 14 Pepsis and it was enough to download like, oh God, what album was it? It was something like Arcade Fire. I don't know, but I didn't have good enough internet to download from the Pepsi server, the iTunes songs. Like I had dial up shitty internet. I gave all the bottle caps to my friend Zoe and I was like, can you please get this album for me and then burn it onto a CD and bring it to me? And something happened, some error, something errored out and like she was not able to get me the songs and therefore I drank about like 250 <laughs> ounces of Pepsi for fucking nothing. Anyway, fuck you, Pepsi. Uh, no. <laughs> Thanks for reminding me of that, though, because I forgot how hard I used to the, have to work yeah, to get the music. The dark ages of music. Yeah. Um, oh my God. Uh, yeah. And were the, were the guitars angular and lacerating, though? Um, I think the I think when uh, Butler's voice was yearning and plaintive, eventually. <laughs> <laughs> I, I was I was talking about the Gang of Four track. Oh, Gang of Four. The, yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, it's about Marxism, so that's the most important. Yeah, thing. that's the, that's Always, the easiest so. tell if you're li- listening to a Gang of Four song. Yes. Um, but yeah, but like he 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 on this whole thing that you were you were talking about, where he goes on he goes on this sort of um tangent about um like reading music criticism mm-hmm. as a as a little boy basically yeah. um. He talks about how um, he said something that was I thought was really interesting where he says that um, uh, a lot of old uh, record reviews would like a lot of the column inches would be devoted to actually explaining how the music sounded. What? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Crazy. Yes. yes. And he says like because you, now you can just you know stream anything so it doesn't really matter what bands sound like necessarily. Yeah. Um, you know like uh, in he doesn't say this, but like, I think a lot of criticism these days is basically trying to shoehorn in different like cultural theory things that the yeah. writer knows mm-hmm. and wants to kind of talk about and use pop culture as sort of like a lens for that. Yes. Um, and not, not necessarily even in a bad way. Always that's sort of the way that that's what like the take the take economy uh, yeah. has, has wrought. Yes. Um, but uh, you know, it is fun to kind of go back, like he says, and, and to look at reviews where, you can tell the writer is putting a lot of energy into finding ways to describe like, like you were saying like angular guitars without like having to like use the same exact language Mm -hmm. uh, every time and stuff. And to like really, I I don't know, sort of capture like what you're hearing. And it's like, I don't know. It was just like a very, uh, I thought, I thought it was a very sort of like thoughtful observation about sort of music history that I hadn't really considered. Oh yes. Yeah, it's true. And we do love the narrative. The narrative here, we oh, love the narrative because we we're it. we're talking about books. Um, and it's actually very difficult to find people who are just like, what are the sonic qualities of this uh, SoundCloud song? Other than it's like, it's emo, a SoundCloud like, song, yeah. yeah, or just yeah, yeah. SoundCloud rap song or something. Yeah, you know, SoundCloud rap. It sounds like SoundCloud rap. Yeah, is that a, is that a tautology? Yes. 
Oh, good. But it is, but it's like, <laughs> but it is like how you uh, uh, like refer to these things. I don't. Yeah. 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 He's cut. Co- he's coming in word first, baby. Yeah. Word first. Record second. Uh, shitty J.C. Penny guitar third. He said it, he he. So he broke. He got a guitar because he asked for it, um, but he didn't learn how to play it until he had a really bad bike accident that like laid him up. Like he fucked up his leg and he had to learn how to play he it. He did rear window, but for guitar instead of spying on your neighbors. Hell yeah. He just looked at a guitar for a long time mm-hmm. and then he learned the essence yes. of the guitar. Um, he meets Jay, Jay Farrar. Jay Farrar? I think it's Farrar. Farrar. Mm-hmm. Sure. It is now. Um, he meets him <laughs> in high school. Um, the way he meets him, uh, he says, Jay, he learns Jay likes the sex pistols. He goes over to Jay and says, Hey man, that's cool that you like the sex pistols. And he said, yeah. Then we just stood there for a minute, very likely an entire minute, not saying anything. And then I was like, you want to hang out sometime? And he said, yeah, (laughs) I'm, I'm sure anybody watching was probably thinking those two are going to start a band that plays a punk country hybrid that a smattering of critics and punk country hybrid loyalists will blow (laughs) way out of proportion. (laughs) 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 That's his. I loved that part. That's, yeah, that's it's an amazing, amazing line. It's also yeah. just a hundred percent true. Yeah, like, yeah. Like, like I was a huge Uncle Tupelo geek. Um, okay, because like they, because like I, I got into them through Wilco, and somehow I figured out, oh, they were. He was in like a like a punkier band. I, yeah, I got to check this out, and then. So I, I really loved Uncle Tupelo and then stopped listening to them for a, a long time and then re-listened to them and, and prep for this. And um, they don't really, they sort of hold up well in a lot of ways and a lot mm-hmm. of other ways. Like the they could not have aged worse. Uh-huh. Um, really? Well, yeah, just like because they have um, a lot of songs where they're uh, like, they're, they're sort of like, we're going to do punk and country where it's like our our way of doing it is going to be to play like Carter family style like bass note guitar but just like with like a lot of dinosaur junior fuzz box sure you know yeah um and so a lot of their stuff just honestly kind of sucks and takes itself extremely seriously but also a lot of that stuff is the J Farrar stuff so. Ooh, Ooh uh, shots fired. fired. Yeah. <laughs> Fuck you, Jay Farrar. Uh, what is, something what's a good, We're leaving Jay Farrar in 2018. Yeah. <laughs> uh, what is uh, a good Uncle Tupelo song? Um, I would say that their best song is Gun. Gun? Great. Which uh, is, is, that a, is that a Tweety? Or it's is a Tweety that song. A... He, he talks about it in the book as like one of his, um, the first song that he wrote that he is still, he says that he's still able to play it without feeling like really just embarrassed. Yeah, it was. He wrote about a girl, right? Like a, some sort of breakup or something. Yeah, it was yeah. like a, a girl, like classic sort of like girl goes off to college and he stays in town and she meets someone else and yeah, oh you know, yes, and he goes home and he writes a song about how sad he is. Yep. And this is this is a great song. It's, they just have a lot. It's just to listen to a whole album of this, um, plus like the really weepy like minor key acoustic guitar stuff. Is, can, yeah. You know, it <laughs> could be like it's it's grim like um. I mean, this does sound like these guys like Dinosaur Jr. Oh, a lot. Definitely. Yeah. <laughs> um, I was I wrote this down in my notes, but basically, like, um, for all you you like podcast nerds out there, um, <laughs> basically, like, Jay Farrar writes is songs. Jesse Farrar's father. Is Jesse Farrar's father. <laughs> That's what I was gonna ask. Oh, that would be for pod nerds. God, that would. That was just, that one was just like staring me in the face. Yeah, and yeah. I, didn't, I didn't see it. I thought that's where you're going with podcast. I was but. I was actually going to say J Four R is basically like um, a version of Felix Biederman who takes himself way too seriously. And Ooh, has, that sounds dangerous and awful. It has no sense of humor <laughs> about himself or oh, anything. Oh no! And so basically, like all of the all of the Uncle Tupelo songs, um, but especially the J Four R ones, um, are either a bit like breakup songs or 
about like um, like rural fail sons, basically, who um, <laughs> like have no economic prospects. They're nice. bored. They're lonely. They're um, Tweety has a song about this. Um, they're offended by the military-industrial complex. Sure. Yeah. In like a vague way of like all of these. Dude, war fucking sucks. Fuck. <laughs> like Tweety says, he got the idea. Um, for the, uh, the song Train, which is a song about the military-industrial complex because it was so annoying how he always had to stop at um, train tracks and then these, like, military uh, supply trains would go sure. by and, like, take five minutes. Ah, uh, yes. yes. And so, basically, it's... The, it's the best reason to be annoyed you. The, the military. <laughs> <laughs> I do um, not salute you. But, like, yeah, so, like, basically, it's just that, you know, if, if Uncle Tupelo were around today, they would just, like... They wouldn't be a band. They would be like a WWE tag team. <laughs> or they would start like a MMA gym or something. But, you know, it's like, oh it's, my God. it's music for like people who have been kind of like left behind in a lot of ways yeah. by mm. the economy. And, and so that's why I say like they're really, it's it, it's really relevant. It feels really relevant now to listen to a lot of it. But then like, the, he'll also, they also do like, like Jay Farrar would also do a lot of stuff about like, like old miners and like, <laughs> yeah. uh, like, yeah. like Cla- your classic country subjects. Uh, he had a, he has like a song where he's he's like Chickamaugas where I been <laughs> and it's like oh wow you have to be such a civil war civil war nerd to know that like Chickamauga is like this other is like better known by like another name and it's this famous battle oh my god um, right Tweed is a little like he kind he's never nat like rude about it but he definitely like he, he more talks about working with Jay Farrar is that he's he feels insecure as a singer as a songwriter because he does feel like Jay can write these things that feel like the sort of like gritty, authentic Americana. And like, he's just trying to keep up. And then he later realizes that that's not really him mm-hmm, or at least yeah. that kind of explicitness isn't really him. Um, Cause it, but it sounds, sounds like sounds he's like just like trying, so hard. like trying to copy something. Whereas, uh, it, whereas Tweety doesn't know that he's already doing his own thing. Yeah. Yeah. Um, he says he he says Jay was pretty much fully formed right out of the gate. He had a gift for lyricism and an authentically great voice that made everything he sang sound like the Old Testament. My voice, on the other hand, sounded like the kind of pubescent warble one might hear squeaking through an Appalachian fast food drive through speaker. <laughs> <laughs> I, can't, I mean, I, wow, I this can't, guy has great cell phones. Yeah, I, I can't found. I can't can't. F- <laughs> I can't find like the ex- the exact part in the um uh in the book where where he says it but at one point he says like Jay Farrar wrote songs about you know like the economically d- downtrodden and and you know the, the, the you know the forgotten common man or whatever yeah. and I wrote songs about wearing loose clothes cuz it's too hot and hanging skipping school to hang out with your friends yeah, yeah. <laughs> But guess what's more, you know, relatable at the end of the day? Yeah. yeah. I've never just, found I'm the Civil War. Looking through their next album and just seeing the, the song titles, Coal Miners, Criminals, Moonshiner. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, okay. Sandusky. Can I, so can I bring this up? Is that there's a funny... <laughs> that one definitely did not age well. Oh, God. <laughs> there, there's a funny, like, tendency with, with this particular band and probably with Jay in particular is, like... You're you're aligning with and perhaps expressing solidarity with blue collar folks, but you're a different kind of blue collar. You're a musician in the late 80s. You know what I mean? Like you're still poor, but it's kind of for a different reason. And I feel like maybe there's some insecurity on Jay Farrar's 
part where he's like trying to relate because you're just as broke as the other person who's working in a coal mine or doesn't have a job at all and is in uh, a town whose prospects have all perished. But there's something funky about like you're a like you're a struggling musician as opposed to a struggling coal miner. Yes. Yeah. I mean, there's always been that divide. Yeah. Um, like the I whole, get, uh, yeah, the whole like Bruce, um, Bruce Springsteen and like that the big David Remnick profile in the New Yorker mm-hmm. basically just like admits that he he never had a real job yeah, ever yeah. like mm-hmm. it was just guitar guy his yeah. whole life yeah, yeah. Well, I think I think also when you admit that like yeah I I tried to get really good at guitar so I never had to work I'm like yeah, yeah that's fair yeah <laughs> that's a good if that's if that's your way out go that's for true it. Yeah. that's true um looking, f- looking for a way out track yeah. two on the second Uncle Tupelo album. Hey. Oh boy. Woo. Um, he, so we kind of see the beginning of uncle Tupelo and then we skip straight to the end, um, which I think is kind of, you know, it's sort of the, it's the let's go so we can get back approach to memoir writing where like, we don't have to see all the nitty gritty. Yeah. Like he starts from the, the sort of excitement of first starting with uncle Tupelo. And then he skips right to, uh, Jay breaks up the band because he the reason is that he he there was a time when Jeff in a drunken haze said I love you to Jay's girlfriend Ooh. and Jeff made it he, and he said he's like I didn't mean it like that like I wasn't in love with her I was just kind of having like a lovey-dovey moment I'm a sensitive guy yeah. and it led to some other sort of underlying stuff where Jay was like Jeff you <laughs> You you cry all the time, and you're so <laughs> like you're so sensitive, and like it like makes people like like you more, and like I think it's manipulative. So there was some underlying. It was the the I love you to the girlfriend was the yeah, tip yeah. of the a much deeper sort of emotional yeah. iceberg. But I thought that was so unfair <laughs> him to be like you cry too much because Jeff is like I can't help it. I'm set, like I'm a, I feel things. I wonder if he started crying when he was accused. I of think crying he too did. Much, I think he did. I would too. I wouldn't be surprised. He um, would cry too. If it and and to that's, you. I mean, that's something that he talks about later is that he, he basically just says that his greatest talent is that he's able to be, is that he has like a lot of sort of emotional availability. Yeah, right. Um, he's an empathetic guy, an uh, empath. Perhaps. And he's, and he doesn't have any, he says that he has like no, no fear about like being vulnerable. He has no fear of being vulnerable in public or mm-hmm. uh, on record. And, I mean, that would help being a live performer. Yeah. yeah. Is there any sense of how big, Uncle Tupelo got in the time in the the memoir like they, were they like a college rock band they were Basically, playing yeah. some like they were playing like TV, like late night TV show they were kind of at that level they oh, played like okay. Letterman or something they, they, they were, played Conan Conan um, that's it yeah right. which is also leads to a big fight um, <laughs> yes because they play a Jeff song and not a Jay song oh yes Cla- classic classic, yes. classic tensions so yeah they they were kind of at the verge of a breakthrough and I think their last album was their bit was it No Depression. Um, no depression is the first one, uh, and then and I think anodine. Okay. Or, oh how, yeah. Or however, or however you, you pronounce it. Yeah. <laughs> right. I don't. Anodyne. I don't know that either. Sure. Um, um, yeah. yeah. But so it was right when they were kind of hitting, and they, you know, Jay was like, "Fuck this," and Jeff was sad. Uh, <laughs> Maybe cried a little bit. And he and yeah, cried a little bit. Uh, so he immediately starts Wilco when mm-hmm. Uncle Tupelo breaks up, um, which is basically the Uncle Tupelo lineup, um, but they replace. Uh, uh, well, I don't know if they can replace Jay Farrar, but there's uh, Jay Bennett, the famed Jay, Jay Bennett, who yes. has since uh, died, yes. which is uh, sad and terrible. Yeah, um, died, died because he um, couldn't get health insurance, actually. Yes, yeah. And is a, I would recommend um, 
uh, before we like end up probably talking a little bit of shit about Jay, yes. Jay Bennett because Jeff kind of does. Yes. Um, uh, like the story, his the story about like Jay, like uh, like whatever you think about him, like personally, because I know like also a lot of Wilco, some Wilco fans are like, ah, oh, fuck Jay, and other ones are like, oh, oh like we're, he was the best, yeah, his stuff was the best stuff. Like the fact that he he died because he couldn't get health health, health insurance is like it's disgraceful, yeah. Yeah. yeah, super fucked yeah. up. So like, um, if it's you almost, ever need to convince people about like Medicare for all or universal healthcare stuff, like tell them the story of the story of Jay Bennett, or right. uh, it's almost as if uh, musicians could use some kind of union union. Maybe. Uh, yeah. Yeah. So I want to skip back a few apps and learn about that. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Um, so it's also at this point um, it, the, with the founding of Wilco that Jeff introduces his wife, Susie, into the narrative. Um, I just love I love the way he talks about her. I think their relationship is so amazingly interesting. She's a full ass decade older than him, even a little more so. She's 30 and he's 19 when they meet. She, he like Macroned her. What? <laughs> like, oh, like a, like a Macron yeah. married his like I think drama teacher. Yeah, or English former, teacher. Maybe. Yeah. She's yeah. a bit older. She's like yeah, she's at least a decade substantially older. older yeah. I think I think she's she's I think she's in her sixties and he's like just like turned 40, forty or something cool. Like, that. like that. Cool, cool. I always think it's more of a generous act on the woman's part than the <laughs> dude's. Um, like, like they, I'm just they stayed together, you know. Yeah, like, yeah. Uh, love finds a way. Yeah. Well, no, I'm just I'm There's I'm pushing thirty, you. and the thought of dating a nineteen year old musician makes me scared and afraid. So <laughs> yeah, um, no, and, they they must have some kind of special something going on he, there. He basically moves from Belleville, Illinois, which is basically um, like he says it's it's uh, more or less like across the Mississippi River from St. Louis. Yeah. To Chicago, which is um, I'm not I don't really remember my Illinois geography, but <laughs> it's something like a five hour drive six so hour it's drive not, yeah. it's not as cl close as you might think it's a long say. way he moves all the way to Chicago um, I think before they even like were like officially dating yeah because he's like oh I, I just got a good feeling about about this this Susie Miller he went all yeah he just went all in so she he was in a band he was in Uncle Tupelo when he met her um, she was the manager of a bar called the Cubby Bear um, Ooh, she was like a manager around? slash booker I feel like booker. I've heard that name in oh, Chicago yeah it's around. <laughs> is it is around? It's yeah, yeah. like you go to you, the Cubby Bear is like um if you've if you've ever been to Chicago and been to Wrigleyville it, it's um yes yes it's basically yes. kitty cornered yes. across from Wrigley Field yes and um which is which is one of the worst places places in, in the entire city yeah. just because like because uh, it's full of Cubs fans. Yeah, yeah. throughout the ent entire summer, it's basically and it's just like um, the in like the middle. It's not like they. It's you know City Field or something where it's yeah. way out and a parking lot in like the middle of Queens. Yeah. It's mm -hmm. like in the center of the city. It's in the, just plop down. It's like a, it's a right magnet there. for the, uh, the worst, the worst parts of Chicago. And like, just it's like, like, it's like the, uh, the Bostonians of Chicago. Yeah. It's like the, hang out like there. the, the is it like the midtown West of, or like the, oh, yeah. the West thirties yeah, yeah. of Chicago. Um, now just imagine it's the that, Kips Bay. It's the Murray yeah. Hill, but, ima but imagine it. that like Yankee field was in Kips Bay. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> and then there was a bar diagonally across from it. And Got then imagine it. the vibe of that bar. Got it. And you, you go there, like you would, I remember like at once I was, I just was, for some reason I was like standing outside of, the cubby bear and they were advertising the night's featured performer and it was a cover band that that promised to play lots of like Allison Chains and <laughs> cool. Trapped. Cool. Ooh, trapped. Wow. T-R-A-P-T. Trapped. <laughs> Something like that. Like, yes. Like uh, know, yeah. Breaking Benjamin Stone Sour like yeah. that kind of <laughs> sounds good. Sounds, sounds uh, like a great yeah. great time. 
Um, yeah, so she was about to leave to start her own venue in Chicago called The Lounge Axe, or just Lounge Axe, I guess. Um, he, I, Jeff, I, I just, I oh, just realized that's a pun. Lounge Axe. Lounge Axe? Lounge Axe! Lounge, like, like, like act. Oh, my God. Is it A-X-E? It's, I thought you were saying A-X. A-C-T-S. No, it's A-X. Okay, well, there I got go. it immediately. Well, I didn't. Now, But now I did. Great. That feels good. Su- um, Susie, if you're out there, great name. Great yeah. name. Uh, took impeccable. us a while, but it's it paid off. It's worth it. Worth it. Um, he he introduces uh, Susie to the story by saying that when they went to couples counseling, their counselor asked uh, Jeff, uh, they asked Susie uh, what their what her first impression of Jeff Tweedy was, and she said, "I didn't understand how anybody could survive with so few paper products." <laughs> and then separately, he uh, the counselor had asked uh, Jeff what his first impression of Susie was, and uh, he said, "I thought, wow, I've never seen some, I've never seen so many paper products." <laughs> so like that is their personalities in a nutshell. Susie's very like she's very maternal. She's a great businesswoman. Take charge, like kick-ass lady and jeff is kind of like a bumbling but sweet musician i mean sounds like a good dynamic yeah that sounds like a recipe for a functional relationship like he he is such a adorable bumpkin yes (laughs) i don't mean that in any type any kind of like patronizing way like he is just like genuinely he's he's just like that and he and Mm -hmm. he and you can tell it one of the reasons i sort of figured out that it wasn't a put on was that at one point he talks about wilco playing a show in and he describes it as um some like aging or crumbling 80,000 seat soccer stadium in Milan, which is of <laughs> course the uh, Estadio Giuseppe Meazza, <laughs> the San Siro, <laughs> one of the most famous like soccer in like renowned soccer stadiums in the world. Yeah. And it's just like he had no idea that like that's where AC Milan and Inter Milan play. Like, yeah, <laughs> it's you know, and it's and I know like soccer, European soccer wasn't as big in the 90s as it is now, but it's like. <laughs> It would be like the equivalent of like playing in like Cowboys Stadium or something and being like, oh, oh yeah, like we were in this like weird place outside of Dallas. <laughs> yeah, big, it was a big football stadium. I guess this, uh, uh, you know, team called the Cowboys plays there for some parts of the year. Uh, really interesting stuff. Yeah. So Su- like, a supered bowl occasionally. Yeah. But anyway, that was just like, yeah, that's funny. Soccer, but that- it really is like who he is. Like, yeah. Um, he he says for, he also he commemorates uh, the moment that he and Susie like knew that they had something like special between them with a full on fucking graphic novel like couple of panels in the middle of the book. It's oh. like it's incredible. Um, he he says about her. He said, if you've ever been in a relationship you took for granted, even if it when it was the only thing holding you together and you somehow didn't lose it despite acting like an idiot, then you know how difficult it is to convey that amount of gratitude, much less set it to music. I wouldn't know where to begin. Oh, ah, I'm gonna cry. <laughs> He's just so sweet. Ugh. I just want to hug him. You yeah. Just like, Ugh. And all, like, also, I mean, this is just my personal thought: is that not a lot of these motherfuckers in their memoirs are like they give their their props to their wives, but like, not really. Even <laughs> though these wives might be the same or their girlfriends over the years, like they a lot of times they get second or third shrift shrift. Shrift? Drift? Shrift. Yeah, I think it's shrift. Shrift? They, like, Short shrift. Sebastian Bach, yeah. for example, thinks, you know, he's got this woman who's the mother of his child that he was with for like a decade and he barely mentions her. And then at the end of the book, he's like, I want to thank Aww. my second wife, Suzanne, my rock. I love you. She's, a, <laughs> she's inspiring me to rock and roll. I'm like, what about this first woman? Yes. Like, come on. Anyway, I yeah. just want to say shout out to Jeff Tweedy for yeah. giving props where props are incredibly deserved and it doesn't come across as like 
you know, like when, you know, someone like, you know, like Anthony Kiedis is like dating like a younger woman and he's like, yeah, she's 18, but you know, in a lot of ways she's like wiser than I am. Yeah. Mm-hmm. She's, a, like, she's a goddess really like, more yeah. than a woman. Yeah. Like she, she wears the pants in this relationship. <laughs> you know? and, it, 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 and it just, it, it just seems like weird. It's like, um, like when Tweety, like when Jeff like gasses up his wife, it's like, it's like horrible. Delete that. Yeah. <laughs> I, don't know, I love that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. When, when Jeff Tweety like is, you know, is, praises his wife he's not doing it in sort of like a flatter a way to flatter her or anything like that it's like you can tell that it's it's genuine and and what's also interesting is that he um he does he throughout the book he has these little um uh sort of like uh conversations with um, yeah there's a couple with his wife and then he has um he has one of those kids yeah uh and it's basically her explaining it's like it, it takes a form of, of like a dialogue and it's like her explaining to him like what she's comfortable and not comfortable with including in the book yeah and mm-hmm. so it, in, a, in a lot of ways it's it's, it's sort of it, it gives her it like very deliberately like as like a literary choice um mm-hmm. puts her in the driver's seat and in, in terms of like what is going to be revealed yeah in, about okay. their relationship mm-hmm. and uh i don't know it's just like a very interesting way of presenting it that's also more intentional than yeah. almost anything else that we've covered in these memoirs it's yeah. a it's a nice little like it's a very nice strategic trope to yeah. put the conversations and the conversations are about what it feels like to share intimate details of your life in a memoir yeah. mm-hmm. in a way that when you read it you're like oh cool this was like very well considered and emotionally intelligent. Yeah. And they're like, and sometimes <laughs> once again, something I rarely encounter yeah, in, in, in a rock books. memoir. Yeah. Yeah. And like, um, uh, it's, there, there are points in the, in those, in those dialogues where it's sort of unclear if it's like, he's actually quoting, uh, his wife or his son verbatim, or if he's, um, like sort of putting, like sort of putting words in their mouth, but, yeah. but mm-hmm. like clearly things that they would have been, okay saying because yeah. I, I doubt it would have made it into the book uh if it, if it wasn't like that so it's yeah. it's fun to kind of like so he gets a lot of kind of humor out of make sort of like making it obvious that he's trying to do this like this like literary exposition technique yeah mm-hmm. um but but it's not like self-consciously it's not like it's not self-conscious in a cloying obnoxious way it just yeah. it's just like it's just funny. It's just yeah. really good. It's just good writing. Yeah, it's good writing. Um, so Wilco kind of gets chugging. Um, he describes the their album being there as the light going off in my head of I don't have to limit myself to the musical interests that Jay Farrar and I had in common. So this is him like kind mm-hmm. of going going his own way. Um, and then he becomes a big Tao. Uh, yes, exactly. Um, they record Mermaid Avenue, uh, which he, you know, is, obviously thinks is a, a cool experience. I know Mermaid mm-hmm. Avenue is like your yeah, kind that's of. My jam. Do you want to pick a song from that? Oh, which one? So th- this is a it's Woody Guthrie lyrics yes. set yeah. to all new music. Yeah. So basically, like, because um, uh, I've also read like a different Wilco biography and a saw the documentary for the making of Mermaid Avenue because mm-hmm. um, he doesn't ah. he doesn't talk about it too much in his book. Mm-hmm. Like it more or less was yeah like uh, Nora Guthrie who was Woody Guthrie's daughter had a bunch of unpublished lyrics, and she asked Billy Bragg the uh, British or, or English um, uh, socialist Lefty singer folk singer folk yeah. singer <laughs> yeah to um, you know to, to like make the, record to add, them yeah make. to make them into songs and he he wanted a backing band for them he didn't want to do them he thought it'd be too predictable or whatever to do solo guitar yeah solo guitar which because that's Billy Bragg's kind of whole 
thing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so he, for some, I can't remember what the specific reason is, he, he picks Wilco as his band. And so Jay Bennett's really into this idea and Jeff Tweedy is like, kind of into it but also he's kind of, he kind of wanted to do his own thing at this time yeah and he also wasn't really interested in um a lot of the more political guthrie stuff and mm-hmm. he was sort of more drawn to like woody guthrie like singing about being depressed or okay. <laughs> singing like goofy songs like christ for president or something well hey is that not uh, political in his I mean, own way. In, in, in a Woody Guthrie way. A, He's yeah. got my vote. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I, that's the one I was going to pick because I think it's the one that jams the hardest. Oh, yeah. uh, so let's listen to a little Christ for President. Great. I, I right. can kind of get that because it's like uh, it is a little bit like just again like imitating previous uh, styles or like trying to put on this like kind of manufactured Americana thing for that. So if he's trying to uh, you know forge his own uh, unique style and not do that like backward looking Americana, I can see why this would be kind of an irritating project. But I think these songs. Oh are yeah, no, the, great. The album slaps, and, yeah. and uh, <laughs> it, although like um, don't read the the. The Wilco book by Greg Cott. If you if you want oh, yeah? if you don't want to have Billy Bragg ruined for you, oh, yeah? just a little bit, but enough. Yeah. Oh yeah. Is, yeah, is he, he is he a bad man? Well, so what happens is that uh, Billy they have a song called "Another Man's Done Gone." It's a it's a beautiful song. It's only like ninety seconds. I think. Yeah. yeah. Uh-huh. Um. And so what happens is that so like Woody is obviously Woody Guthrie writes the lyrics and um Billy Bragg comes into rehearsal and he's written it like with the chords like G, C, and D, which mm-hmm. if you're not a guitar player, like that's, you know, kind of week one. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's, a very, it's, a, it's, it's one of the most commonly used chord progressions. Start a band. One yeah. of those three, start exactly. a fucking band. Um, and then Jay Bennett's like, okay, that's cool, but like what if we change it into this minor key and instead of a guitar, it's on piano and instead of you singing it, it's Jeff or whatever. Yeah. And so Jeff ends up singing vocals and so he ends up having to rewrite the vocal melody to kind of match his voice mm-hmm. and the, and stuff and then but then when the album comes out guess who's got the songwriter credit oh, Woody okay. Guthrie Billy Bragg oh. sure. and so I don't know if that was ever rectified or not but like they apparently there was like some miscommunication about that sort of th- like songwriting credit stuff and that's a classic <laughs> musician. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, that seems relatively minor. Yeah. One song on this. And they go on to do yeah. two more Mermaid Avenue uh, albums. Yeah. How many fucking lyrics did Woody, Woody Guthrie have sitting around? He's a productive guy. You ever seen his New Year's resolutions? Oh, yeah. Those are uh, those are he, very productive. He has the, the most like dirtbag left list of resolutions. Oh, it's yeah, like, yeah. stop womanizing. Yeah. Like, uh, bathe. Drink bathe. less. Drink less. Shine uh, <laughs> your shoes. Fight fascism. <laughs> <laughs> Hell yeah, Woody Guthrie. Hell yeah. yeah. Fun fact, I'm shipping up to Boston, the stupid Dropkick Murphys like Red Sox yeah, song. Yeah. Yes. Woody Guthrie lyrics. I would I <laughs> I did not, not know me. that. Wow. It blew my mind too. I don't know if that's like a like a commonly known thing. That's um, I mean, talk about doing a little more innovating of the sound uh, <laughs> yeah. when you're working with those lyrics. <laughs> yeah. Um well I, I don't know. I those lyrics uh, uh seem a little more uh, mythical and large scale than uh maybe dropkick murphy's might I would imagine them being able to to come Oh, up it with. sounds mythical to me. Sounds That's what like I'm a yeah. Yeah, yeah. I Viking imagine kind of like folk Americana. I it. mean, 
like to be fair to the Dropkick Murphys, like they do have uh, some bops, and they are <laughs> like solid like uh, union guys. Yeah, but yeah. like I can just I can I literally just picture them flipping through lyrics and being like. Uh, union song, whatever. Yeah, union song, whatever. Yeah, yeah. Oh, this one has Boston in it. Okay, we got to do it. Yeah. What's oh, about a guy a pig leg? A pig sure. leg guy? Oh, fine. Who gives a shit? They're gonna love that out there. Oh, can you just digitize all these lyrics and we'll just control F for Boston? <laughs> <laughs> all right, this one's good. This one's great. Let's fucking do it. Okay. Oh sorry, man. Sorry to side yeah, yeah, <laughs> No, no, that's good. that's a great. I had no idea. I had no idea. Um, that's wonderful. They uh so Wilco they do that they do they buy they, they won a Grammy for uh, Mermaid Avenue um and at the Grammy ceremony uh P Diddy thinks that they are the guys who hand out programs <laughs> uh, which is adorable and also Jeff th- this is the 1997 or eight 1998 Grammys 1998 and uh, the Ricky the like sort of breakout Ricky Martin performance I don't know if you guys remember that he describes it as a like a Hieronymus Bosch painting come to life <laughs> like they're like people on stilts and like belly dancers and snake charmers it sounds it sounds incredible um, he also says that uh, th- that was the only time that they were nominated for alternative album and ever since then Wilco has only been nominated for rock album both times that they, they, they were nominated, they lost to the Foo Fighters. And uh, <laughs> Jeff Tweedy says, if Wilco is ever going to get the mainstream attention and adoration it deserves, I need, I need to kill and eat the heart of Dave Grohl. Oh, no. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Foo oh. Fighters really does need to just stop a little bit. Yeah. They're, st- they're taking everyone. They're taking up a lot of space in the it. Grammys. Yeah. yeah. They've got too many. They have too many Grammys. Yes. You should cap it. Or at least, like in a certain year period, yeah, um, that would be good. Yeah. I, I would love to play uh, su- off of Summer Teeth. Can we play "She's a Jar"? Yes, this is one of my favorite Wilco songs. This is a, a very good song. Yeah. It's also it's it um in the Greg Cott book. It, it um there's like the th- I mean uh, he didn't mention it in or Jeff doesn't talk about it in his book, but uh um like apparently when this when this song came out or when he started like performing it at like his wife's club because that's sort of where he would like woodshed a lot of his material before yeah yeah uh bringing it to the full band apparently it caused a sort of a, a scene in the like chicago music community because in the song there, there's a lyric um she begs me not to hit her yeah there's and like domestic is, violence and there's reference. like this this is around the same time that they were like i I think that they were in like marriage counseling or something mm-hmm. for like presumably perfectly normal workable stuff. And like, you know, Jeff, you know, he both have said like, Oh no, no, no. That was, that was like, that's not a autobiographical. <laughs> yeah, that's a metaphor. It's, or it's like heard of it. He was doing like stream of consciousness writing and stuff. Mm-hmm. But like, it was, just, it's like he talks about, or like in the other book, it like goes into this whole thing that he kind of like, doesn't really talk about here because he, but like he doesn't, he also doesn't gloss over the fact that he and his wife had, um, a lot of issues. a lot of growing pains when they first were married, you know, mm-hmm. probably because they had sort of an age gap, and he yeah. also was, you know, I'm had a lot. Musician, he was a musician, and he had a lot, and he has a lot of had a lot of um, uh, like psychological issues, which we'll probably touch on briefly later. Yeah, oh um, yeah. But it's like, yeah, it's, it's interesting to see sort of like what he sort of is willing to include, but it, but it's but it's definitely not like he is doing revisionist history I feel like yeah. it's, it's a very like honest portrayal of things yeah he re- he talks about his songwriting process a little bit where he, he does the thing that I feel like is not totally uncommon to like have music written and then you make sort of sounds like sort of nonsense sounds and then you kind of pull what sound like words from those sounds yeah, yeah. Um, and like I think maybe that's kind of his like 
uh, unobtrusive way of saying it. She's a jar is not autobiographical. <laughs> um, all you know, I make most of my stuff by uh, just kind of weird, intuitive well, melding no, as, and molding. As, as we understand from modern music cri- criticism, every song is a one-to-one description of the artists themselves and their lives, and yes. each character in each song represents <gasps> a character in real life. Yeah, yeah. that yeah. is a person that uh, it is. You are able to yeah. find out about yes. by yes. researching the, their recent history. Yes. Every every song is autobiographical. Yeah, 20, yeah. Twenty-one Savage has killed probably upwards of two hundred people by now. Yes. Yeah. When Eminem <laughs> said, "I just drank a fifth of vodka, dare me to drive," uh, he he had actually done, done that, that right then, and, and nobody in the bar said, "No, we won't." Uh, they didn't dare him, so yeah, he, so he uh, didn't. didn't do it. And we still have Eminem with us today. Here's what I'll say about Wilcom. <laughs> okay. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Sorry, we've been we've been uh, having our Wilco <laughs> <Yeah>. Gabfest. <laughs> Go go on. What, what do you slate, have to say the about slate Wilco? Wilco cap yeah. <laughs> I mean, it sounds like something. They'd, I'm sure they fucking talked about this. Oh my book god! On the, the oh my fest. god! Oh no! Um, uh. I appreciate their arrangements much more than I actually like their songs. I think that's fair. That's fair. Yeah, Chris. Chris, you're, like, you you're, like it you're when things J-head. go hard. Yes, I do like it when things go hard. Yeah, <laughs> I was when I was playing. Uh, um, you know. Uh, Hot kettle black or something when I was baking muffins. You were like, it just doesn't go hard enough. Yeah, I'm like, I don't enough. know what's, I don't know what's, if it doesn't. I'm sorry. They, they have too many. Um, I do say that, that think that they have like a too many slow meandering kind of songs, yeah. and that the problem with being a band that's willing to do like really experimental and not just like, oh, Frank Zappa, it's weird, but like <laughs> true, like they would do stuff. There's a they have a song on a Ghost Is Born where it ends with like 15 minutes of like put down their instruments like live in the studio with the tape running yeah, yeah, and, and walked out the, of the like, room. ambient sound roll. Yeah, and then, yeah. Then, then just sort of let the feedback kind of take it from sure. there. Um, and sp- <laughs> but yeah, like they they could use some more bangers. Um, and I mean, It's not too late. I mean, not to late. review the entire band but from that the one show that I went to, but again, like being like a little into a band and then going to like a sit-down venue and seeing this and just like not even having being the space to like gently sway to their songs it just uh it it didn't it didn't go for me yeah Yeah. um i will say that they've gotten they're kind of more i would recommend listening to kicking television Mm because if you want to hear some more like wilco banger kind of stuff because that's Mm -hmm. that's the live album they do um after a ghost is born um but uh They've added they added Niels Klein or Nels Klein or whatever it is like they're uh-huh. yeah sort of hot shit lead <laughs> guitar player uh-huh. and um, he's incredible and he adds a lot of like really noisy <laughs> uh, guitar stuff. Sure, um, I would I would check that out. Yeah, maybe we'll listen to some later. But they definitely have a lot of like and recently I think their their last couple albums have been kind of boring a, a little bit. For <laughs> me, a little, pretty, pretty mellow, pretty mellow. Um, let's talk a uh, Yankee Jeff. Hotel Foxtrot. Uh, so part of the, I mean, the album was somewhat inspired by Jeff finding the, is it Conet? The Conet project? The Conet project. So he finds these, uh, numbers, uh, stations, which if one of you want to describe what, perhaps what those are. Um, numbers stations (laughs) are a phenomenon that has existed almost as long as broadcast radio has, uh, going back to being reported first, even around world war one. They are suspected to be a uh, covert way of broadcasting information to uh, undercover operatives and espionage agents working in former 
countries, what they are is um, shortwave radio stations where if you know where to tune to mm-hmm. and tune to it, you can, at certain intervals, hear uh, extremely creepy repeating coded message what what are one assumes to be coded messages yeah um theoretically coming from from a broadcaster to an operative to give uh uh, uh information to them and i'll see if i can pull one up right now yeah it's a uh, it's, it's some really cool spy shit and yeah. um basically the in the conant project is sort of just like a uh compilation of different numbers recordings of number stations um there's still some that are still active the, they're yeah. still active and like uh, a lot of, in the, basically the intelligence community is sort of. Oh wait, is this? this oh, is, is this Lincolnshire Poacher? Yeah, this is the most oh, famous yeah! of them. This, <laughs> this is a, this is the uh, this is the fucking a number one bop of the number station genre. This is, this is the hey uh, of, Oh yeah, hell yeah! Of numbers. Does it does it go? Yeah, we got to go through a lot of these repeated uh, uh, calliope codes. So this is basic. This is like a f- English folk song called the Lincolnshire Poacher, which is basically the signal like. To the spy, like, hey, the broadcast is broad, beginning. Uh, you know, yeah. like, stay tuned. We're yeah, we're going, uh, we're going yeah. in. So the idea is that turn you the would, music up in my headphones. Yeah. So the idea is that you would know about what time of day <laughs> these automated, seemingly automated messages yeah. would come up. And, um, and you can just sort of imagine, like, oh, what are they saying? Is it? Is it? Are they saying to like murder someone, or is it just like, yeah, yeah. oh, like pick up this envelope at this uh, street corner? Here we go. Yeah. Oh baby. And you can just imagine being a like shortwave radio enthusiast scrolling through to see if you can like talk to people online and hearing or on on the radio line yeah. and then hearing these very uh, creepy mysterious messages and uh, becoming obsessed with trying to figure out what they are. Yeah. Yeah, there it's it's a fascinating it's all on YouTube if you want to yeah, you know, spend a few hours in that rabbit hole and it's like it, it's I don't know, it's also just like really I mean, and this is sort of what was appealing to Jeff Tweedy was is that they just as sort of like a weird piece of sound like found yeah. sound yeah. art. Yeah. There's nothing else like uh number stations or yeah. like other like Conet project recordings. He said he I just love this quote. He said the way people communicated or ultimately failed to communicate in the Conant project, it's not all that different to me than my own efforts to communicate. I've been to dinner parties <laughs> where I can't even pretend to get with the small talk. I can't just abruptly turn to the person next to me and say, Where do you think we go when we die? <laughs> I just I I don't know. I relate to that. Sometimes I mean I'm a Scorpio, so sometimes small talk is hard for me. So he's a what is he, a Leo or maybe a Virgo? Whatever. Um, he so that's that's kind of the the blueprint for Yankee Hotel Foxtrot, um, which, as you said, uh, gets a lukewarm response from the label. They get dropped from the label. They purchase their uh, the masters from the label. Amazingly, after they release it online and it gets a lot of attention, they end up on the imprint Nonesuch, which is a Warner Brothers imprint, just like Reprise, which is what the imprint they were on before. So they purchased their masters from Warner Brothers and Warner Brothers bought, they licensed them back. Yes. So Wilco is very good at money and numbers. The record industry is great. They got got Warner to pay for the same album twice. Fantastic. Yeah. Imagine if 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 you you're, you could convince your boss to just give you twice as much. 
stuff. <laughs> hey, remember when shit. I did That's, that thing? It's the worker's dream. Yeah. Hell yeah. yeah. Well, and, and so basically Tweety says, like, after that point, they basically studiously have never really given a fuck about anyone's opinions outside of the Wilco matrix again, because they're just (laughs) like, what? Yeah. The Wilco community. Cause I, and understandably they're like, look at your shitty opinions. Look what they did. (laughs) Everyone, like everyone else is wrong and we were right. And as such, like the only authorities on Wilco are Wilco. So go fuck yourself. And I love that. Yeah. And they've been able to do that. They really are the like the little band that could flex. <laughs> you know, like for, you know, I mean, they really were in the trenches when it came to a lot of the the, the music business stuff. And they they're one of like the few bands who can you can say, oh, they unequivocally won. You know, this isn't yeah. like Pearl Jam's like mm-hmm. you know sort of like you know uh, three hundred style like stand against Ticketmaster. Like, this is like a band <laughs> that actually was a, was like able to like yeah show that if sometimes if you stick to your guns on something that you you know is good that you know, eventually people will come around to it. Yeah. Yeah. Believe and this, in yourself. And then this album, like, basically, like, was their, their, their mega hit. Their breakthrough, mm-hmm. yeah. And it features, like, um, lots of, like, numbers, number station samples and then also kind of inspired just Jeff and Jay Bennett and Jim O'Rourke, who's, like, the yep. hotshot producer they bring in yep. to um, really get into a lot of sort of experimental uh, sort of more, like, ambient uh, soundscape, sound collage kind mm-hmm. of stuff. Mm-hmm. And um, it really, it doesn't feel like they just threw a bunch of like weird noises on top of a bunch of uh, all like, country yeah. songs. Yeah, yeah. It, it feels very integrated cool. in a way that they the songs need that stuff, even when it's just like. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Can we get a little, uh, I'm trying to break your heart. Yeah, or? I was, I, I got that queued up right now. Let's, let's yeah. assassin down the motherfucking avenue, man. I mean, this is a, a fairly tremendous album opener. Yeah, it's killer. And so, I don't know if anyone has watched the documentary uh, about the making of this album because there are there's tensions between uh, Jeff and Jay Bennett. Jay Bennett ends up getting fired kind of mid slash toward the end of this album being recorded because Jay also wants to like mix it and there's like mixing arguments and it's a whole thing. Um, but also, so Jay and we can get into this a little bit more post why. Uh, YF, uh, YHF, uh, that he, uh, Jay Bennett has a painkiller problem or a pill problem. Mm-hmm. Jeff is like kind of nascently getting into, uh, substance abuse issues. He had quit drinking, but he was, then he smoked a bunch of pot and then he kind of quit that. And then he is sort of teetering at the precipice of a prescription pill problem. Uh-huh. Um, and he basically said, he says in the book, if, uh, if, what did he say? Sorry. I fired Jay from Wilco because I knew if I didn't, I would probably die. And that's uh, an, it's an interesting thing to say because Jay died. Jay died. Yeah. Um, and, uh, you know, obviously there's yeah. been a lot of uh, strife and conflict about the firing of Jay, him not getting uh, the money he maybe deserved from his contributions to Wilco, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but like, I don't know. I feel like Jeff is also talking as someone who, has almost died. And so yeah. he's, I mean, he knows better than anyone else what is necessary for his mental health. Right. Yeah. And it, like, as I mean, a, a, as someone who's, who's gone through, here's a throwback to the last step I did, um, is who is someone who's had like, uh, you know, substance abuse issues and has, yeah. you know, been in recovery for them. Like you gotta, 
there's some people you just gotta let go. Yeah, yeah. That, you gotta. And you just gotta you. accept like this is a friend that I I can never see anymore. Yeah. And um, it sucks, but you gotta do it. Yeah. And that's what and that's one of the things he did. And it also seemed he also talks about Jay Bennett, sort of being like a, a little bit of a shit stirrer in terms of, with the band. Mm-hmm. Like you know when he it's just him and the bassist, he'll be like, oh that Jeff guy, I don't know about him. And then uh. when it's you know Jay and the drummer, it's uh, oh hey you know you know. Jeff and the the bassist they're really uh, a <laughs> yeah he's believe a, what they're saying about us and you know yeah a little dra- starting starting some drums interpersonal drums um yeah so we get we get into the addiction stuff he basically Jeff he talks about he grew up and he had a lot of migraines which he realizes now were maybe not necessarily like a physical cause but uh related to you know mood disorders like anxiety and depression which have probably been in his family for like generations and always were treated the way his father treated them which was just with substances um and so he he basically is kind of talking about how he has this stuff going on and he finds that opiates energized him we can we can do a content war i mean whatever content warning there's lots of substance abuse uh, yes. stuff we're about to talk about. Uh, he can I retroactively add in a content warning for yes. the, uh, the, the She's a Jar conversation? Sure, I feel sure. bad. I, I thought of that immediately and felt uh, bad about oh it. Oh no, yeah. I'm just trying, I'm trying to get more into more content warnings 2019, baby. What? Why are you looking at me like that? I think they're good. Okay. I, I think they're good and I like them. Um, so he says yeah. opiates energized him. They made him feel like a normal functional human. So like he doesn't have anxiety. He doesn't have migraines right. anymore. He doesn't have this like stuff that he has been experiencing his entire life. And he said, I didn't feel like a weirdo for liking Vicodin because everybody liked Vicodin. It was like walking into a dinner party and asking the host, um, I don't know if you're into this, but uh, do you have any red wine? <laughs> so he, he basically has like found the, the substance that yeah. makes him feel normal. Right. And that's how he, he yeah. gets into this particular spiral. And it's what's interesting is that, um, you know, like uh, opioid addictions, obviously, the talk of the town. Yes. Um, yep. That's a shitty way of putting it. Um, <laughs> uh, but like, uh, you know, so, you know, I've, I've read a lot into it and it's Jeff's entry into opioids is basically the pattern that like a lot of other people um, mm-hmm. is basically Jeff, Jeff, Jeff Tweedy. He talks about how he had this sort of actual pain. He has like actual pain that wasn't yes. being that, that taken seriously by uh, his family and friends and, and doctors and stuff. Like he, he basically said that he would, when he was like a teenager or whatever, he would try to tell his family and friends, like I'm having these headaches that make me like vomit and want to kill myself. Yeah. And they were just sort of like, Okay, like yeah, take, t- take a Tylenol. Yeah, take and a get Tylenol. Right, you know, and and um, so when he finally gets access to, and he gets access, by the way, through like a basically a Wilco fan who is also a uh, pill addict and would like just like drive to Jeff Tweedy's house like a just a Ziploc bag full of Vicodin. A pharmacist. Oh he was a pharmacist. Yeah, far- who is a, a fan? A yeah, which is like some dark shit right yes. there. And 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 he's getting it like for free or at like at cost basically because uh-huh. it's he's getting it from a fan and stuff but like yeah. he had like it's he had pain yeah. and it wasn't being treated right and he found and he found something that treated it and what treated it turned out to be you know heroin basically yeah <laughs> but but doctor sanctioned doctor sanctioned yeah. pa- uh, package the way you know package for human regular consumption right it was it, he felt like it was like sanctioned in a way yes because there's no reason it wasn't like shooting up in a fucking bathroom yeah, it, was it was like a, a nice 
pill from yeah, a he doctor. Would like, he would like take a pill and lie down. Yeah. And like feel better, basically. Yeah. yeah. So, um, yeah, yeah, he he has this going on and he he says it gets really bad when they record A Ghost is Born. It's it's so bad that he says he he thought of the album as a, an album that he was going to leave behind for his children oh, after God. he had inevitably yeah. overdosed. Really, which it, is so crazy. Yeah. It it you read it and you're like, "Oh, a ghost is born." Yeah, oh my God. that's yeah. dark. <laughs> yeah, because <laughs> he saw because he's like, I mean, that's sort of like what makes makes him interesting is that he, in a lot of ways, is you know, like the the stereotype of Wilco is that they're, you know, quote unquote dad rock, mm-hmm. and that it's a bunch of like you know, sort of chubby bearded like Chicago area dads yeah. who yeah. like get together in a loft and and jam and you know then go home to their families and stuff yeah um, right it's it's a there's sort of santa you don't think of those like badass bad boy rock and roll yeah yeah, yeah, yeah they're not they're not like wilco are not like a really a hard partying kind of band and so he basically sort of felt like in a lot of ways his his uh drug addiction was couldn't be real or right. or that he couldn't have you know because because it was you know uh it was such like a normalized thing it was so him. secret yeah, in, in a way. Yeah, like, he kept it completely. A lot of people, I don't think, even knew yeah, like straight yeah. up. And I think his wife found out after some time. It wasn't mm-hmm. like she knew right from the beginning. He says he. It's funny in one of those um, uh, like dialogue, fake sort of uh, scripted dialogues that he has with his wife. He says, "Can I put in that I stole your mom's cancer medication? Like, it, can we go that deep?" And Susie's like, "Oh wow, you really want to like you really want to do that?" His his. Uh, mother-in-law was uh, very sick with cancer and he was stealing her morphine. Oh my God. Which is like, whoa. I mean, yeah. Yeah. Holy it's, shit. It's, it's grim. Yeah. yeah. Um, what's cool about him is that there's like the tension between the dadness and then also someone who has like darkness in them and it's the sort of like darkness where there's not even really like a cause for it. Like he was interesting. I think uh, he makes a really good literary decision, I think, uh, in ter- in how he reveals the the opioid addiction and his uh, depression yeah. mm-hmm. by sort of saving it for about the, t- for when he starts talking about a ghost is born because, at, you know, earlier in the, early in the book, he t- he's, he's presenting a lot of stories from his childhood mm-hmm. and it's clear that his childhood is, is like kind of fucked up and not sort of, you know, what you would hope for, I guess, and kind mm-hmm. of how a kid would grow up. But like yeah. he more or less is like, this was fine. And I'm, and, and th- this is just sort of like the way it was. But at the same time, he also writes a lot about um, wanting to like prove all of the kids at school that they were like like prove them wrong or, mm-hmm. or kind of like stick it to them in some undefined way. <laughs> um, and he's you know and he's, he can't w- can't wait to get out of his shitty hometown and stuff. And uh-huh. and it's like where's all this like anger and uh, and also he has like a lot of self loathing feelings. Like where's all this coming from? Mm-hmm. And yeah. it's sort of like chemical imbalance, man. Yeah. Like, and, he's like, and he just can't. But any but. You know, because like that sort of thing was stigmatized where he grew up. He, you know, yeah. Somehow he thought opioids were, yeah. He was, you know, yeah. like he thought opioids were safer and more acceptable. Right. Totally. Yeah. There was no language to even like talk about, like to figure out what he was even feeling. Mm-hmm. Um. Yeah. So, uh, he like it gets so bad that he basically goes to his wife and he's like, "I need to go to rehab right now." But like he basically ends up going to like a mental hospital slash drug treatment center. Like it's a really it's he's not going to some fancy yeah. Malibu uh, whatever yeah. passages or whatever. Yeah. Um. He <laughs> he thinks in this in the same like conversation. He's like. 
did they put me in the pride wing of the hospital? And Susie's like, what are you talking about? And he's like, I think they put me in like the gay section of the mental health slash drug treatment center. And Susie's like, I don't think that was a thing. <laughs> he's like, I could have sworn I was in the pride wing. She's And she's like, Jeff, it was, it was 2004. There's no pride wing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We didn't have that yet. Like, yeah. Um, I mean, that's also maybe a grimmer observation. If it's just that a lot of people yeah. around him in the mental hospital were gay. Right. Uh, or, uh, mm-hmm. you know, uh, anywhere else on the, uh, you know, gender spectrum that mm-hmm. would make him think that. Yeah. yeah. And right. That, and this, is, this is sort of where he also kind of, he, it, this is such a weird way of putting it, but he kind of has like a little, um, he sort of learns about, you know, a diverse group of people who are different from him yeah. when he's in rehab. Yeah. And like one of the, one of the things that he says was, was a, you know, like, cause he talks about how he felt really embarrassed that there were, you know, like, you know, really poor people and, you know, people of color and stuff in, in rehab who yeah. had, you know, suffered things like way beyond he could, you know, anything he had, mm-hmm. and, you know, he's like, Oh, my problems are like, you know, I can't stop firing guys named Jay for my band. <laughs> <laughs> I get headaches and stuff. Yeah. And then some, and then he's, and then like, a like uh, older black guy one day is just like listen like um, uh, we all suffer the same and he, and he's trying to say like like just because like you've been luckier in a lot of ways doesn't mean that your like pain isn't isn't valid and that you're yeah. not like don't ever think that you're you know your suffering is worthless or whatever because yeah. like right. you're you know it matters basically and he that's sort of he describes that as being kind of like a, like a turning point for him and like rehab being like a and he talks about how he like go, he he goes more times i think than he had publicly admitted to up until this point uh-huh. mm-hmm. yeah but um he basically kind of goes to rehab and sort of gets all of his shit straightened out yeah. eventually yeah um and you know it seems like he's been clean since and yeah is you know he's in he talks and then later he goes on to talk about like his his family life and stuff and uh you know good for him yeah <laughs> he, really, he really uh you know you you it you feel good for him because, you know, he's been so honest about himself throughout the book. Right. So, like, that, like when you're reading it, it's really cool to see him kind of, you know, escape from, you know, what he was going through just because, like, you want to root for him. He, right. He's a, he's a good guy. This reminds me a little bit of um, one of our prior episodes where we talked about Brian Head Welch, the uh, guitarist yes. from Korn, and we are kind of trying to reckon with his admission that he um, uh, uh, physically and emotionally abused his wife right. um, and how he, he put all the details of it in the book and like, it wasn't quite sitting right of like, well, he says all this stuff and he's atoning and he says he's sorry, but there wasn't, I think what we were maybe missing is just like, you couldn't tell that he had done the work like privately. Yeah. And it, yeah. something about well, this he, book, he also had, and I don't mean to put this too lightly. He also had the Jesus cheap cheat code. Yeah. Where okay. he, he's like, Oh, I, Put, I allowed Jesus into my heart, so all my past sins are forgiven. Everything's forgiven. Yeah. Um, that I think, well, and that's probably yeah. why he maybe wasn't doing yeah, yeah. the work. But Jeff Tweedy is a dude who has done the work. You can tell, and that's why this book is so good, but it's also why he can bring this stuff up and you really do believe that he's okay. Yeah. Is because it, however much he's putting in this memoir, you can just kind of tell that he's just. He's done a lot of as someone who's like in therapy right now, like he's he's been to therapy. This guy has been to therapy. And he worked at it. Yeah. With his wife and probably alone. And like you just don't get the sense that there's unfinished business in the sense of uh, uh, he he hasn't fully reckoned with who he is and 
his his challenges and all that stuff. He's he's done it. Yeah. Um. This is gonna Go sound Jeff. This is gonna sound totally out of left field, but like, um, you know, uh, on certain popular left wing podcasts that I listen to, you know, they've been talking about, uh, you know, who's you know, going to be kind of like the Jordan Peterson of the left. You know, uh-huh. one of the a lot of people say that Jordan Peterson's sort of like uh, secret of success is um, that you know he's talking about um, being like vulnerable and and talking about your emotions and stuff, mm-hmm. and that and that a lot of young men ha- haven't really had that sort of uh, they haven't found a space or found a person that they can have that kind of conversation with, and then. You know, the problem, of course, is that Jordan Peterson is basically a closet fascist and blah, blah, blah. Yeah. <laughs> um, but, like, if we could just get people to read some Jeff Tweedy. <laughs> right. He he even talks about cleaning your room well, and maybe, how important it is to clean the room. Your, clean your room. Maybe you should uh, <laughs> start up a Patreon where, for, you know, whatever, 25 bucks a month, you can have a uh, half-hour phone call with him. <laughs> <laughs> where he, uh, you know, imparts uh, good fatherly wisdom. Live, live Tweety yeah. stream. Chords and Discord. Chords and Discord. With Jeff Tweety. <laughs> I mean, as he says in uh, Wilco the song, Wilco will love you, baby. <laughs> <laughs> oh, love, love some good unconditional love from, from Jeff Tweety and friends. Um, so, yeah, I mean, that's kind of like, that kind of wraps up the narrative. Like, he talks, obviously, like, there's a lot more... Um, uh, pain and, and heartache in his life like his uh, like Susie has very serious cancer which she had in her early 30s and it comes back and they have to deal with that his father dies his mother dies like he kind of has these huge yeah like milestones of life mm-hmm. yeah. how how did um his 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 struggle with his own addictions does he talk at all about how that affects him navigating like the the scale of the band's success at this time, because they kind of keep producing and being around without much of a, a bump between in the in these times. What do you uh, mean, like a bump in popularity? Yeah, or just like even much of a delay. You know, they 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 put out an album like every two years or so throughout this yeah. entire mm-hmm. period. So it's not like it's he really needed to like. It doesn't seem like he needed to take a break from Wilco per se, or you know. Okay, so one of the things that's great about the book is that it doesn't really have a ton of we were in the studio and yeah. I wanted the snare to sound like this. Yes. Jake, you ah, know. Well, I do enjoy the, the <laughs> learning how to set the snare. Um, what I'm trying to say is um, he, yeah, he doesn't focus on all of the, the annoying details that, that only like nerds who like the band would like. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, he wants to, he only wants to, he only really talks about the act of making music when it's important to the story. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so a ghost is born. He, he gets really into the nitty gritty of making the album because he's going through, Opioid withdrawal, yeah, mm-hmm. for large parts of it. And he, at one point, he talks about um, when they recorded uh, "Spiders" parentheses "Kid Smoke," Kids yes, um, which is their. I, can't, I think it was like Chuck Klosterman uh, said in like the the review for this in Spin. He said it was like a Kraftwerk song that becomes a Bob Seger song. Yeah, <laughs> and it's even better than that. I remember <laughs> really enjoying. I remember this is the one Wilco song I would play on my uh, my freeform show and. Uh, at- Northwestern at like three in the morning. Nice. Oh, but yes, I, uh, this is the kind of thing that I would like from this band. <laughs> so, so he talks about how for this song, which is the song's eleven minutes, mm-hmm. um, he said that it, they uh, deliberately kind of like when they arranged it, they sort of tried to get rid of any 
chord changes that would be too complicated for him. Mm -hmm. And so he basically, he would just sort of stand at the microphone with his guitar and would add like the little like, like little guitar leads and then sort of lean to the mic and mumble the lyrics and mm-hmm. they tried to do two takes and you could only get through one of them yeah. because he was you know having yeah so withdrawal syndrome so struggling yeah so it's basically he I guess like to answer your question he uh, yeah like A Ghost is Born was more or less like he was just like in free fall and it's amazing that they got anything done yeah. especially because that's the album where this it's after Jay Bennett leaves but before they they hire Niels Klein and mm-hmm. Pat Sansone who are their guitar player and like guitar keyboard guy now mm-hmm. um, so he does all the lead guitar himself and it's really really good mm-hmm. um, it's some phenomenal like shredding sort of guitar but not it doesn't feel like Ingwe Malmsteen stuff it's yeah, like yeah. <laughs> it's like television basically yeah yeah um, and so yeah so, so basically it's like he had to carry mm-hmm. like more weight when he was like at like a lower sort of like energy mm-hmm. level and I it's think like he, Britney Spears recording Blackout. <laughs> <laughs> she exactly. she did that. The yeah. songs were harder than ever before, and she was not not really with it. So bless you, Brit. Um, also, wait, what what was I thinking of? Um, the the other thing I'll say to you of of how they kind of got through and stayed being Wilco through yeah. uh, his struggles is like. They weren't at that kind of hyper crazy, super super popular band level of work yeah. to bring this back to labor, as we like to do often these mm-hmm. days. Like he, he, they weren't at a kind of pace where he had to maintain some kind of irrational uh, level of of health and yeah. with itness. Like they kind of chilled a little bit. I know they put out an album every like two or three years or something, but it's not like they were like crushing stadiums and yeah, go flying all well, over I the world. Like, like kind of he was like able this... to like raise his kids and stuff too. Well, I feel like they they've been that. One of those bands where, for kind of good or for bad, bet, for kind of better or for worse, they've been the exact same level of popularity for like twenty years. Yeah, yeah. There's it's a, it's a sustainable level of popularity. Which is to play the Taft Theater in Cincinnati. Wow. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I mean they can they can headline like maybe a night of like a multi day festival, but yeah, like yeah. when I saw them though, it was I remember it was still bright out. So like <laughs> at least I don't think they were you know, yeah, yeah. getting the closing slots even in like their hometown. Yeah. Uh, yeah. They're like a 4 p.m. kind of band. Yeah. Bless them. They're touring Wilco or they're touring Europe right now, so. All right. Sure. Yeah. Wonderful. Um they he kind of closes it with uh um, he talks about his kids and his relationship with specifically his older kid who's gotten into music and it, it's kind of incredible the way he talks about his children too like he clearly cares for them a ton um, like his he said Spencer his older child came of age in the studio like what he knows is he he kind of grew up in the way that Jeff Tweedy wasn't quite allowed to grow up in of like just surrounded by and infused with music uh-huh. um, and I, he seems to be so like happy and proud that he's raised a kid that is also interested in that and his other kid came into you're you're gonna like this uh uh, what's his name sammy he came to music a bit later but he got interested in modular synths uh so jeff tweedy brought him the refrigerator size system that jim o'rourke left when he moved to japan (laughs) within a few days sammy was hooked on ambient drones oh my god jim o'rourke synth yeah Uh. (laughs) <laughs> my God, if only I could, uh, you know, break into some forbidden temple and, and steal that back for myself. Just a couple patches or yeah. what, what already, have you. Yeah, I've already got all the patch cables I need. I just need the, the synth itself. Yeah. So. yeah. God, the circuits. Yeah. So sexy. Yes. So big. I will bend them. <laughs> he's, um, but he talks about his, he, he, he definitely like um, 
tries to like make clear that he doesn't he actually that his kids are like actually like really good at music and that they're not you know just sort of like nepotismed into the into the business. Yeah. Like sure. He talks about how he would record um, demos of himself playing acoustic guitar and like um, you know like a lot of the time like when a guitar player is doesn't have a, a drummer, you know they're little like barely perceptible shifts in like the tempo. Just yeah, yeah. yeah. You know, and it's also a demo, so like who gives a fuck? Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. And so they got Spencer, who plays drums, to drum along with his dad, um, his dad's like acoustic guitar and voice track, and he is able to basically do these like, you know, uh incredible shifts in the tempo. To yeah. match the yeah. the untracked ma- uh, guitar, yeah, which you is can like intuit that, yeah, something which is that, hard, yeah, yeah. like studio, like um, I think against me, who are a fantastic band, had to scrap a whole version of an album because they couldn't get their their new, drumming their to match new drummer, the drummer who's in, who's amazing and was yeah. in like Rocket from the Crypt and stuff to like fit in with their other like the the tracks that their old drummer recorded that they got yeah. rid of, and so like the some studio guy just like turns to Jeff and is like. Does he know what, like how hard this shit is? Like yeah. he's twelve. Yeah, there's a there's a little scene, like a tiny scene in in the I'm trying to break your heart documentary where uh the kid Spencer, who's like two or three, plays like slaps on his thighs the intro um of a heavy metal drummer, mm-hmm. and it's like it's perfectly timed. Like the kid's bo- born with it. A born drummer. Maybe yeah. maybe he's born with it. Maybe he's Tweety. Yeah. Um. So like I just once again heartwarming shit about his his family. Um, I guess ta- can we just take a second and and give a shout out to Melba. Yeah, Melba. Oh my God, Melba. Whom is Melba? So his so his um mother dies of a heart attack and his father when his father is dying um like years later his father was dating a woman named uh, Melba who gets mm-hmm. like she gets like thanked later in the and and I don't want to say credits but like the yeah the acknowledgements. acknowledgements. And, um, like, so, like, his, his father's dying, like, on his deathbed, and Melba, who's, like, you know, is in love with this man, mm-hmm. leans over and whispers, like, in his ear, basically, like, you know, like, it's okay, your wife is calling you, you can go to her now. Um, yeah. And I, like, I, I'm not, I'm not gonna lie, I, pu- I had to put the book down and, like, cry a little bit. Yeah. Because I was, like, I've never heard of some, somebody being that, like, selfless, you yeah. know, in, in the face of something like that, and just being able to, like, say, like, I know that, you know you want to be with her and like, yeah. you can go to her now. It's yeah. like, Oh wow, man. <laughs> yeah. It was Damn. super intense. And he, and he ends the book talking about shout out the, to Melba, shout out to Melba, <laughs> all the props to Melba. Um, at the end of the book, he talks about what let's go so we can get back means, which I just love. It was something that his dad said when they were, when he was little, because his dad had like social anxiety. Who <laughs> yes. does, I mean, you know, who doesn't, but he definitely did, um, where he would say like, all right, let's go so we can get back. Like, let's go to this, party or function so or whatever go, so, so we can back. yeah and like i relate sometimes i go so i can get back and at the end of the book he's kind of like you know there's a time and a place for that but like i'm getting to the part where i can appreciate the, the going, going. Uh, gotta, learn, gotta <laughs> learn to love the going gotta you gotta otherwise life is hard oh um and oh and then he gets circumcised oh yeah goes. yes wait <laughs> yeah yes yeah so, so Susie's, what is that? Susie's Susie's Jewish, and he converts and gets the the thing done. And, and so so his so basically Spencer or his other son is like turns thirteen and is um like eh, I don't know if I want to get mitzvahed and like Jeff Tweedy is isn't necessarily like a super he says like he's not like a like a theist or you know like a, mm-hmm. like a yeah, real, yeah. but does have kind of like a 
spiritual side and, it, it, and it's like it's important to like I think his, to his like wife's family or to his wife or something mm-hmm. and so he's like okay well if, if I'll go to like the Torah classes with you okay. like I'll I'll get bar mitzvah as well and yeah. I'll you know become like a, a man in the Jewish faith with you okay. so like you know so it's not like you're going through it alone or whatever and like whatever to you know like solidarity yeah, yeah. and so I don't think he knew exactly what uh you know, like the 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 list of, of sort, of, I guess, like of like requirements to like <laughs> yeah, convert to, to Judaism is uh, pretty ornery. Yeah, yeah. Um, in uh, the sense that he had to uh, be circumcised. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but you know, you gotta you gotta that's prove commitment. your commitment. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Seriously. Yeah. Oh wow. <laughs> so well, yeah, he, he did that. Uh, the way he describes it, he says, "I can't tell you exactly what happened, but I, I can tell you it involved a mole." A lot of pain and yeah. a closet in the synagogue. Right uh, a side room in the synagogue. Well, I gotta say that that probably is not an everyday occurrence for the the folks at that temple. No, uh, like someone that old being like, "Yeah, get get me in there." Well, I want to get involved. Well, congrats, Jeff, on the new dick. Uh, <laughs> it's not new. It's just well, refreshed. it's improved. Yeah. Is it? Well, we could, well, I don't we know. We could argue about that. It's improved depending on your relationship to the religion of Judaism. Yeah, yeah. and to your dick. Yes. And um, uh, congrats on um, uh, becoming a man, Jeff. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it was a little delayed, but it, re- it you really came around to it's it. Worth it. Oh. Yeah. But the, just like I, I just love that so much. That yeah. he, he, well, I mean, that is oh. a, extremely earnest and seems a very apt uh, story for Jeff Tweedy. Yep. Who Ooh, seems baby. like a very earnest man. He is. Yep. Uh, any final thoughts on Jeff Tweedy? I just, mean, just read this book. It's good. Like, read the uh, book. It, sound, it sounds like a good book. He sounds like a great guy. He sounds like he has handled his uh, his struggles with uh, dignity and aplomb. Uh, my opinion on Wilco is not radically changed after this because that's basically well, all, that's all, okay. about that. Yeah, that's, yeah. that's all I. You don't. I you don't have to like Wilco. Yeah, so. exactly. He seems like uh, that. I. I pretty much is. is as long as I've been aware of Jeff Tweedy, I've thought of him as he seems like a nice guy who does music that I don't really care for. Yes. <laughs> thank, thank you. But <laughs> but the book is good, which is rare for, for us. Uh, yeah. Like actually write home, home about good. Yeah. As in like recommend readers if they like li- reading things, listeners if they like reading things about music. I'd recommend. Put the score 142. 142. Okay. Yeah. How many how many other books would you sincerely recommend people read? Viv, Viv Albertines and uh uh Niall Rogers and that that might be it. <laughs> okay. Oh and and uh uh the guy from Blur, Alex James's book was hilarious. Uh so I, we're, I have to read that. Oh, it's so Sounds, good. Listen, or listen to the episode first and then And there's some it. good there's some good uh, uh football in there for you. <laughs> oh, the the Perfect. European kind. Uh, football oh, anthems. The footy. the footy, yeah. <laughs> so that puts our rate at around uh, four and thirty-nine. Cool. Okay, <laughs> that's not bad. Uh, so with that uh, decided, let's move uh, confidently into the end part of this episode. Um, I have been super slammed uh, doing other business, so I haven't had a chance to catch up on correspondence with people uh, in the uh, for the podcast. I don't know if we have any new emails or anything, so I will skip all that. Uh, is there anything either of you guys would like to plug? I'm so excited. Do you have a plug? I love plugs. Plug away. Um, so uh, I do, I work in the theater. I write plays. They're all under 90 minutes. Perfect. Throwback. Cool. Yes. Call, call back. Fun. Yeah, yeah. Whatever. <laughs> that, is, um, that is, you uh, listeners of the show will know my uh, preferred <laughs> length of a play. 90 minutes or less. That's 90 minutes or less, no like, intermission. Like I, like I write them. I, I love theater, but uh, they don't need to be longer than 90 minutes. Like we get yeah, it. Yeah, who are you trying to fool? Um. <laughs> 
the only reason Shakespeare plays were like four hours is because like there was it, you know they did they nothing else, else to do. To do. Yeah, <laughs> like, they were um, given given birth and dying and then watching plays. The, you know, like the common man would be like, "Hey, I want to see four hours of the King of Denmark." You know, whining, whining, highlight of that is uncle. Yeah. Um, but anyway, so yeah, so I do theater mm-hmm. stuff. I um, once a month, usually the first Tuesday of the month, uh, I write and usually perform in a show called The Fast and the Furious um, <laughs> at the Tank in Midtown. Great. Uh, it's like I, it's five bucks. It's uh, all like plays and monologues and puppet shows sometimes oh, and yeah. uh, video sometimes and dance everything um and everything is based on a news story from the the week leading up to the to the performance date mm-hmm. nice and that's every it's just every tuesday first tuesday of the month the tank usually 7 30 always five bucks is there a link to that that we can throw in show notes um you can go to the tank.org right. um tank tank. and um you can follow me on twitter uh at pasta underscore ben <laughs> um, I also produce like stand-up comedy show benefits for various uh, social causes, and I also write and produce my own shit. And something will come, will be uh, dropping in 2019. Um, I don't watch know exactly the space when, but yeah, watch the space. Watch the space. Watch the space. I want to shout out um, first of all the Twitter user at jsws93. Um, he responded to our. Uh, a tweet from a while ago saying if you can throw in some Jim O'Rourke lore in there, oh boy. Um, <laughs> so shout out to you. I hope the, there wasn't a lot of O'Rourke lore, but if we can find some more lore, we can do our own episode about the O'Rourke. Uh, the O'Rourkeverse. Uh, the well, O'Rourke now you know the, the fate of Jim O'Rourke's Chicago-bound uh, synth stack. Yes. Um, the, oh, and the, the only other thing I'll say about, uh, about O'Rourke is... Uh, He's he's the real O'Rourke for 2020, if you ask me. (laughs) Um, Tweety describes him as, I found somebody with the same passion and excitement for listening to two violins play the same note for a half an hour as he did for Super Tramp. So there's your your O'Rourke, your daily O'Rourke. Thank you, at JSWS93. Love tweets. We love tweets to we us. We love tweets. Keep tweeting at us. Um, uh, if, for Space Watchers, uh, you should look up the uh, music video for the Brooklyn-based punk rock, awesome pop, cool band, Shy Baby. Their song, When You Were Here. I shot it. I directed it. I think it fucking rules. Um, that's the space that should be watched. And you can follow me on Twitter at Miss Molly Mary. And there's more stuff coming in 2019. Watch this yes. space. space. Uh, for me, by the time this comes out, all the stuff that I've been working on, uh, putting a lot of effort in, will mostly be up, and I am going to hibernate from content other than the regularly scheduled programs for a few days. So nothing for me. Uh, but you <laughs> don't uh, bother, don't bother Chris. He doesn't have any content for I you. I have been editing podcasts pretty much every waking hour for the past four weeks. The content uh, has run dry. Yeah, I'm, I I am blood dry of of content. If, uh, I, if I can, if, if I can kiss uh, podcast ass for a minute, the uh, the Will Menneker "It's a Wonderful Life" is is flawless. It's oh, so thank you very much. <laughs> oh man, uh, I enjoy producing them. I enjoy producing the two gaming specials, uh, one of which will be coming out tomorrow, and then I will be free uh, <laughs> once that drops. So not, not like tomorrow, like literally tomorrow, like literally tomorrow. Oh, like like today, tomorrow, but not like when this comes out. No, not when this comes out tomorrow. <laughs> this when will we record have been this tomorrow. Out. If you're listening, oh, so to this, it comes it's out, out. It comes out two it. weeks two weeks ago <laughs> yesterday. Cool. <laughs> uh, uh, so, 
us on Twitter at andintropod and send us an email at andintroducingpod at gmail.com. Our SoundCloud is at, as always, at soundcloud.com slash and dash intro dash pod. Mm. Subscribe to us on iTunes, rate, review, subscribe, whatever, please. Actually, our last review, I did check this recently, is uh, in October 9th. So somebody somebody go over there and throw us up. A, a, a measly, just throw us a, one measly review. Throw us a freaking bone here, <laughs> yes. okay? Just, just one tiny review. That's all we'd ask. Yeah, and if it's nice, even better. Yeah. But as always, the number one way to uh, to to thank us and help us out is to tell a friend. Mm-hmm. Just say, uh, just just say it in real life. Uh, tell them, no, I'm not trying to break your heart. I am trying to make your life better. Bye. Recommending a delightful podcast. I <laughs> am trying to share a pod. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but uh, we've got more good stuff coming up. Uh, getting our programming line for 2019. Mm-hmm. Uh, I uh, don't know where it's really going from there. But uh, until up big things, big things, big shit popping. But until uh, for two more weeks, this has been us, and this has been an introducing. <laughs>